Father, I thank you for the spirit of revelation this morning. I thank you for what you're about to impart to us. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that this message is life-changing. Come and touch your people. Come and do it again and again and again. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Well, greetings to all of you. Greetings to those of you who are watching by way of internet. There are guys in Switzerland watching, uh, people in the Middle East watching. There's obviously our Joburg church watching. I'm hoping they're ready because I know that they've, they've had communion uh, this morning, but I'm sure they're done by now. And today I want to share with you a very powerful message entitled The Spirit of Boldness. The Spirit of Boldness. How many of you need boldness in your life? I didn't say boldness in terms of hair. Nah. I'm talking boldness, B-O, not B-A. Amen. What would your life be like? My life be like. What would your life be like? <laughs> One of my son's favorite songs. Anyway. What would your life be like if you were not afraid of everything? What would the video of your life look like if there was no fear? No fear at all. What would your life look like? What would the church look like if there was no fear at all? I'll tell you how the church would look like. We'll be strong when it comes to evangelism. Amen? We've had powerful messages last couple of weeks. I've enjoyed listening to them. Whenever you miss a service, try to catch up because that could be God speaking to you. Thanks so much, Pastor Stuart. I get confused sometimes. I want to call him Bishop Stuart, but it's Pastor Stuart Bishop. It gets, you know, the titles, it's like they're many, you know, type of thing. Powerful messages encouraging us, mountain-moving faith. Amen? The church will be militant. The church will be strong. In fact, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher in the 1800s. He says, if sinners be damned, it's like damned to hell, right? If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to say, if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Isn't that powerful? We will be more evangelistic. Often we give excuses for not reaching the lost. Lots of excuses we have. Oh, no, I'm too tired. Oh, I know I'm not. This. Those things sometimes are valid, but ultimately at the root of it, very often it's fear. Often it's fear of rejection. What would the church look like if we were fearless? The good news is that they say that a baby, a baby, when a baby is born, it only has two fears. And I've said this a few times. They say it's the fear of loud noises and the fear of being dropped or the fear of falling. Isn't that interesting? And I, I don't know if that's been scientifically proven, proven but I've heard a number of uh, experts speak like that and they said that. And you know, even though, even though people say that, I ask myself the question then, why do I still have certain fears? You see, when you understand that all these other fears have been learned behavior, it's learned behavior, it's easier for you to unlearn the fear. Because you can go back to where you learned it. People aren't just afraid of dogs. They learned it somewhere along the line. Because the interesting thing about a small baby, small baby can put its hand into the mouth of a lion until it's told, hey, that's dangerous, be careful. 
That's why we have to be careful. Those of you with little babies at home, you know what I'm talking about. You have those special protectors, plug protectors, plug point, socket protectors, right? Because the child will just stick its finger through there and get zapped. Little babies enjoy being stared at. You don't like people staring at you. You know, South Africans are big starers. That's what I've realized. <laughs> Sometimes I'm walking around and I just see a guy and they look at you. I enjoy watching people staring at others. And they look at you like this. It's like they're not shy about it, have you noticed? You're doing your thing with your kids, whatever you're doing and so on, and girls just be like this. Right in front of you. I sometimes say to people, just be a bit more subtle, you know? And the worst is when people look you up, look you up and down. I'm saying, what's up with that? Sometimes I feel like saying to people, you know, at junior school, we used to say, is this yours? Is this yours? You know, when someone stares at you, just do that next time. You know, if, you, if you've got a watch or something, is this yours? Right? So South Africans have this thing about staring, and we don't like being stared at. But little babies like it. Have you noticed that? Okay, I know some of you have had bad experiences where you stare at a baby and the baby starts crying. But for most of us, little babies, they enjoy being stared at, and then they start smiling back at you and so on. So where did we learn all these fears? Little babies often have got quite a bit of fat on them, right? You know, that chubby sort of, they're not body conscious. You see them there in their nappies, like walking around and so on. But somewhere along the line, as we get older and we start seeing the flab and so on, oh, my shirt is too tight. Unless you're muscular and so on, and you want it to be too tight. Okay? But for most of us, we're not there. But the point I'm making is children, little babies, they're not afraid. Fear is something we learn here. And for some of you, You've made friends with fear. You've embraced fear as part of your personality. And your challenge in life is that you'll say, no, but Paul, I'm not like those people. Paul, I haven't got that type of personality. Paul, I can't step out and do that. I coach lots of people and I sit down with them and you hear them saying things like, that's just not me, Paul. And I want to say to some people, you must define yourself based on your recreated self in Christ Jesus, not on the flesh. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's go a bit deeper into this. Let's go a bit deeper into this. Have you noticed that when you're told that night driving is dangerous, what do you do? Sometimes you literally anticipate having an accident. You're expecting it. Do you know what fear is? Fear is the anticipation of pain. You're anticipating pain. You know what fear is? Fear is faith in reverse. So when we talk about having faith, let's say it's faith for finances, what do you meditate on? You meditate on the word of God that says, I will prosper you, right? My plans are for you to prosper. That's what you focus on. Do you know what fear is? You're meditating on the devil's strategy for your life. That's what you're thinking about. That's exactly what worry is. Worry is a form of meditation, but you're not meditating on God's word. You're meditating on the devil's strategy for your life. Amen? If you say to me, Paul, night driving is dangerous, I can choose to either focus on how dangerous it is and be so afraid that I will have an accident, or I can say, because I know night driving is dangerous, let me study the rules of night driving. I mustn't look at oncoming traffic in terms of the lights because I'll generally go in the direction of the lights that I can see. Amen? They're basic rules. 
I mustn't drive as fast as I would ordinarily drive during the day. If my eyesight isn't that great, maybe I should get someone else to drive who's better in terms of visually at night. So you do what you need to do, but you don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Some of you, there are things you don't do anymore because you're bound by fear. Amen? And what happens with a lot of people is they rationalize their fear. So they explain away their fear all the time. Have you noticed when someone is very stressed out, what happens? They're stressed and you say, don't worry, it'll be fine. What are you afraid of? And then they try to show you how it's so important that they're stressed out and how you don't understand their life. So we justify our fear and we say, it's okay. You don't understand, Paul, what it's like being a single mother. What are you basically saying? So it's okay for me to be this stressed out. Paul, you don't understand what my life is like, my family set up. So it's okay for me to be a fearful person. Whatever your fears are, God can deliver you. It's not your portion. I'm not talking about being cautious because I can hear some people here. You're thinking, yeah, but Paul, surely some fear is good. I'm not talking about healthy caution. I'm talking about anticipation of pain. I'm talking about having faith for disaster in your life. I'm talking about people who've experienced so much trauma in their lives, so they're expecting more. They're just waiting for it to happen. And they actually have faith for it, so it ends up happening because they're believing that it will happen. I'm talking about terror. I'm talking about anxiety. Think about the times when you've been fearful. What has been the fruit of that fear? The Bible tells us that wisdom is judged by her fruit. In other words, if you want to know whether you're making a wise decision or doing a wise thing, look at the fruit of that decision. If you want to know, is this emotion good that I'm feeling? Look at the fruit of that emotion. In the book of Psalms 34 verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from some of my fears. And, and delivered me from one or two of my fears. And delivered me from all my fears. I don't know how deep your fear is. But the scripture here says he delivered you from all your fears. And you know what's interesting about that word all? It means all. It's not just limited to every single one of your fears. It's also talking about your entire fear. In other words, every dimension of that fear. Isn't that powerful? He delivered you from that. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Some translations say sound mind as self-discipline. Because very often what happens is that when you are fearful, it's because you haven't got self-discipline. In other words, you just entertain passively any thoughts. Right? I'm going to go deeper into that just now. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What is this talking about? You see, when you are born again, when your spirit is regenerated, God's spirit comes and recreates your inner person. Right? And your human spirit is now born again. 
And your human spirit that is now born again is not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of a sound mind. The combo of the Holy Spirit with your spirit, the born again spirit, is not a spirit of fear. So when you walk in fear, you are not living from your inner person recreated in Christ. You are living from the flesh. Amen. Don't be friends with fear. Don't be friends with fear. Isn't it interesting? Someone once said, we make way for the man who boldly pushes past us. Have you noticed that? When someone is bold, even in a queue, and they literally just step in and they push their way through, have you noticed that you kind of think, okay, there must be a good reason for it, and you let them pass? Do you know that it's the same in the spirit realm? You see, some of you are naturally loud in the flesh. You're a loud person. But spiritually, you're timid and you're passive. You know those people, they're very loud. But when it comes to praying, when it comes to spiritual things, what happens? All of a sudden, they're very timid. And then some of you here, you're naturally a quiet person. You're gentle, you're soft-spoken. But what happens when you are praying? You become spiritually aggressive. Amen? We need to be aggressive in the spirit. Some people have said to me, people who hadn't heard me preach before, they'll say, but Paul, you're different when you're preaching. When I'm up here and I'm preaching, I'm addressing something in the spirit realm. There's warfare around you. There's warfare around your, your fears. This is not just a message to tickle you intellectually. There's warfare here. Amen? So what tends to happen is, so they'll say, but Paul, you're so gentle one-on-one -on -one when we are talking. We didn't know that, but you seem to be a different person when you're preaching. Because in the spirit, we must be aggressive. Amen. The Bible tells us that the fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. It availeth much, the King James says. Amen. We want to have prevailing prayer. We want prayer that is powerful, prayer that is earnest. So we need to be spiritually aggressive. Have you noticed that if you go somewhere that you haven't been invited to, if you're very sheepish, people think you're gate crashing. But if you're confident walking past security guards and everything, what happens? People think, hey, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. I've experienced it sometimes. I arrive at some kind of place where there's lots of security and so on. And you can see the people are afraid to stop me, the security guards. Okay? So what is boldness? What is boldness? In Acts chapter 28, verse 31, boldness, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this powerful? This is talking about Paul the apostle. It says boldly and without hindrance. The word bold in scripture, in the Greek, is a very interesting one. It's the word parasia. It comes from two words, pa and racist. Not racism, racist. Racist means freedom, uninhibited. And pa means everything, all out. So it basically means to be someone who has total and complete openness, 
freedom, frankness. Amen? And usually when we talk about being bold, we're talking about boldness in speech. Now ask yourself, are you the kind of person who sits in meetings and has all sorts of ideas, and then after the meeting you're kicking yourself because you're like, I really wish I had said this, this, and this. If that's you, that means you have a problem with some kind of shyness, some kind of social phobia, and that's not from God. If you're in a place in your life where you feel like you've lost your voice, I coach lots of people who will say, Paul, I feel like I've lost my voice. If you feel like you've lost your voice, that's not from God. And I find it interesting that it says, Paul spoke boldly and without hindrance. Do you have stories that need to be shared? Why aren't you sharing them? Do you have revelation that needs to be communicated? What keeps you quiet? You have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. When we talk about that word racist or reo, it speaks of frankness, it speaks of assurance, it speaks of confidence. It speaks of speaking freely, vigorous limbs, readiness of hand. It speaks of being audacious, ardent, courageous, impetuous, violent and warlike. Not to people, but in the spirit. Spiritual violence. Amen? You know what's interesting about boldness is that when someone is bold, it produces clarity. Have you noticed that? When you're a bold person, when you're a confident person, it produces clarity. And it's been found that the person who's the most clear in a room tends to have the most influence. Have you noticed that? Even if they're clearly wrong, the person who's the most clear in a room tends to have the most influence. I believe that as believers, a lot of us, our influence has been squashed because of lack of clarity. And we are unclear because we're not bold. Have you noticed how someone will speak when they're not bold? They'll say something, then they'll backtrack. Then they'll say it again, then they'll second guess themselves. Then they'll qualify, then they'll qualify the qualification. Have you noticed that? The person who gets stuff is the one who's clear, who makes a clear request. When your child comes to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I would like a present for my birthday, and this is what I would like. Boom, finish, clap. And then the following week, Mommy, Daddy, I would like a present for my birthday, and this is what I would like. Have you noticed that when they're consistent with their message, concise with the message, what happens? They end up getting that thing because we know this child is serious. But if it's one week, they're saying, I want a dog. Another week, it's like, I now want a bicycle. Another week, I want soccer boots. Another week, I want a big party with my friends. And you're like, this is not clear. So when it comes to boldness of speech, it's also about boldness in making requests. Not just to people, but also to God. That's what the word petition speaks of. Speaks of. A petition is a specific request. And the Bible is very clear about our petitions. And we're going to go into that. So I want to share with you nine practices, nine practices that unlock boldness. How many of you would love that? Okay, nine practices in your life that unlock boldness. The first one, embrace boldness as a spiritual quality. Boldness is something spiritual. It's not something to do with your personality. 
It's not like, oh, he's got a bold personality. She hasn't got a bold personality. Like you were just born like that. Okay? Define yourself based on your recreated self in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursues them. But the righteous are bold as the lion. My friend, Pastor Taffy, on his WhatsApp profile has got this lion that's there. All right? The righteous are bold as the lion. There's a correlation between righteousness and boldness. Can you see that? It's not a personality thing. The righteous are what? Are bold. Right? Whereas the wicked flee when no man pursues them. Has there ever been a time where you're so afraid... And you start running away from shadows. You start running away from things that aren't actually there. Remember, fear is false evidence appearing real. So very often the things that we are afraid of, that it's not actually real. Someone once said, the things we fear the most have already happened to us. That was Robin Williams, the one-hour photo. The things we fear the most have already happened to us. I've shared this with you before. Someone will come and they'll say, oh yeah, I've got an interview. But I'm scared. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that I might be rejected. Haven't you ever been rejected before? Yes, I have many times, but I'm afraid I'll be rejected. Why are you so afraid? It's happened before and you're still here looking fine. So what's the problem? Okay. The things we fear the most have already happened to us. The wicked flee when no man pursues them. So if you're running away from things that aren't actually there, that's a sign of wickedness. Are you following this morning? Boldness and righteousness go together. Boldness is part of being Christ-like. Boldness was one of the key things that you experienced when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know that? If you look throughout the book of Acts, it says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and then spoke boldly. Wherever the Holy Spirit is and the Holy Spirit affects and influences an individual, there's boldness. Okay? The Bible tells us in Daniel 11.32, a people that know their God shall do what? Shall be strong and do exploits. So there's a link between knowing God, having the Spirit of God, and being courageous and doing exploits. It's a godly thing. It's not a personality thing. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. But the Lord told me, do not say I'm only a child. For to everyone I send you, you must go. And all that I command you, you must speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, behold, I've put my words in your mouth. You see, fear can cause you to disobey God. Can you see the link here between obedience and boldness? When you're bold, you step out and you do great things for God. When you're full of fear, you end up like Jeremiah who almost missed his calling. But God had to speak to him and say, don't keep saying I'm a child. Don't keep saying that. He was rationalizing his fear. He was full of terror. He was wondering what are the people are going to do. And God said to him, don't say that, but do what I've commanded you to do. Are there things God has commanded you to do that you're not doing because of fear? 
And are you rationalizing your fear? So instead of actually saying, I am fearful, I've got a fear issue, I'm anxious, are you actually maybe saying, I'm too young, I'm a child. That's why I can't do it. But we all know it's fear. Ah, no, Paul, I don't want to preach to people because they might think I'm holy. I'm acting like I'm holier than thou. And I don't want to come across like I'm Bible bashing. You've rationalized your fear. The issue you have is fear of their rejection. Amen? Fear can cause you to disobey God, but boldness helps us to obey. In Joshua 1 verse 9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. This is very powerful. He actually says to him, have I not commanded you? So being strong and being courageous and being bold is a command. Can you see that? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How can I be afraid if I know that God is with me? Terror that we experience. Terror. Results in disobedience. So the first practice is embracing boldness as a spiritual quality. Just like you embrace other things. Oh, Christians must be loving. Christians must be kind. Christians must walk in integrity. Christians must be bold. Amen? You can't say, no, I'm just, I'm a wonderful moral person. The fact that I'm not bold, it doesn't really matter. Boldness and Christ-likeness go hand in hand. Number two, the second practice, understand the consequences of fear. Fear has consequences. Some of you are sick in your bodies right now because of fear. You've got psychosomatic illnesses. You've got illnesses that started in the mind but have affected your physical body. Your anxiety is causing you to be sick. Go and look at the stats and go and look at how many stress-related illnesses people have today. And often we take medication for all these things instead of looking at the root. And very often it's fear. So I want to share with you very quickly some of these consequences of fear. When you know the consequence of fear, what are you able to do? It motivates you, doesn't it? Ah, this fear thing, it's not a friendly thing. It's from the devil. Let me tell you something for free. This is now for free. If you speak to people who are ex-Satanists and you ask them, what is the characteristic of being a Satanic person? What is, what is the atmosphere like when you guys do your sat Satanic stuff? They'll say to you, it's based on fear and intimidation. That's why when they leave Satanism, what happens? They get threats, don't they? Happens also with cults, by the way, demonically inspired cults. The moment people leave those cults, what happens? They're threats. Hey, this will happen to you if you leave. Hey, this will happen to you. But God's kingdom is based on faith and love. Amen? So if you're walking around full of fear, continuously being intimidated, you're not walking as a kingdom person. That's not your portion. Please say to the person next to you, I'm no longer friends with fear. I, I'm hearing people saying other things. Maybe they're speaking in their mother tongue. I'm hearing other things. Either the English is difficult or they're speaking in their mother tongue, okay? 
But that is so true. So here's some consequences of fear. Fear causes disobedience. That's what we've just been talking about, right? Fear causes disobedience. Fear stops you from stepping out into uncharted territories. We need the spirit of boldness to step out into uncharted territories. A lot of you love the familiar. You love the familiar. And what if God says to you, listen, I want you to step out and do A, B, C, D, but you've never done it before. Are you still willing to obey him? Fear stops you from loving people. You see, the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. But you know that fear also casts out love. Fear is the antithesis of love. So if I want to show love to someone and I say, hey, can you be my friend, please? Can you come to a movie with me, please? Right? I want to do that. But then I start thinking, they might think I'm being too forward. They might misunderstand me. My fear of being rejected has cast out the love that I was going to be walking in. Amen. My fear of rejection is casting out love. Love drives out fear. Fear will stop you from loving people. Fear stops you from allowing yourself to be loved. Some of you are in a situation where you have to learn to let people in. You know who you are. I'm I'm trying not to look at any faces. I'm going to just look, maybe look up to the ceiling. Because if if I just catch someone's eye and they they catch me, then they'll think, yeah, pastor is talking about me. I want to meet with them afterwards. You know, you know, church folk, what they're like. People are hypervigilant, hypersensitive. Okay? So here's the point. Here's the point. Some of you need to learn to let people love you. Because we don't let people love us if we're afraid of being hurt. For some of you, you've been hurt so much, so you associate intimacy, emotional intimacy. You associate it with hurt and pain. So you get closer and closer to people, and then you quickly push them away. And then they get confused. They're like, do you want me in your life or not? Amen? I'm seeing nervous smiles, giggles, that kind of thing. Okay? Fear stops you from connecting with people and being vulnerable. One of the quickest ways to connect with another human being is by being vulnerable. Have you noticed we're drawn to people who make themselves vulnerable? If you're a leader, people don't want to see perfection. They want to hear you saying, me too. Yes, me too. I also go through that. Yes, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. But this is how I've overcome. But we've got this thing where we want to appear perfect in front of everyone. Make yourself vulnerable. Who can you make yourself vulnerable to today? Fear stops you from dreaming big. We need to have big visions. We need to want to do things that only God can accomplish through us. What's your vision? What's your dream? What business do you want to start? What schools do you want to start? What hospitals do you want to start? What do you want to do? How many orphanages do you want to start? Make sure whatever you're dreaming right now is a big dream that only God can accomplish. Because you know what fear does? Especially fear of failure. I see people starting businesses. And they think they're impressing me when they say, hey, I'm starting this business. And I say, what do you want to do? They say, we're just going to be selling Maputi every single day. These are guys with PhDs and so on. You know, high-tech people will just sell a bit of Maputi and so on. If I can get enough for dinner for my family, then Paul, I'm happy. And then you want to support them as a Christian. You know, like, that's nice and humble, my brother. It's nice and humble. But if you've got a discerning eye, you can see the fear. And the fear is, I don't want to do anything too risky. 
So people don't dream big anymore. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with selling Maputi. Do you guys call them Maputi here? Maputi, what's Maputi? Say it loudly, someone shouts out. Popcorn. Sort of. <laughs> Popcorn. <laughs> not quite. You know that corn that people eat in those plastic things? What is it? Mascopazi. Yeah, that. My son, my son is selling, he sells that. He's got that entrepreneurial mindset. He's going, I won't tell you where he goes. He's buying in bulk and he's just selling at big markups to guys at school and so on. <laughs> and he's energized by that. Whatever you're doing, dream big. Amen. Maybe you'll start off selling the Maputi. The, yeah, that. Maybe that's where you'll start. But guys, let's take it a notch up. Amen. Let's go global with what we're doing. Amen? Let's dream big. Fear makes you lose your voice. Fear causes you to be controlling. You see, some people, when they're afraid, they withdraw. Everyone listening? Some people, when they're afraid, they withdraw and they lose their voice. Other people, when they're afraid, they become controlling. It's what we call uncertainty avoidance. There's a psychological instrument that measures uncertainty avoidance. You want to avoid being uncertain of anything. So what you do is you then control all the things around you. If I'm there and I'm seeing it with my own eyes and I know what the outcome is, then I'll feel better. Then that feeling of anxiety will go away. How many of you are like that? We'll preach about honesty and transparency another time, okay? Thanks for raising your hand, Adelia. That, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks. All right? You see, sometimes we control and, and we think we're a strong personality. We are bold because we are controlling everything. But sometimes it can be fear-driven control. Amen? Watch out for that. Fear causes you to be suspicious and not to trust people. This is a consequence of fear, ladies and gentlemen. I won't pass the ball to you in soccer if I'm suspicious of you, I won't delegate work to you and I'll do it all by myself and I'll hoard information if I'm suspicious. But often that suspicion is based on fear. I've coached people who say to me, Paul, I've been burnt before in the past. Never again. If I don't do it myself, no one will do it. Based on one bad experience you had 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that's fear-based behavior. Some of you, your management style is fear-based. And people are saying, please just trust me with more work. Please empower me. But you don't empower people. And so you limit yourself as a leader. How many of you know that we can't start many churches if I'm too controlling? Amen? At a certain point, we have to trust that other people can lead. Other people can do great things. We'll never have small groups in a church if leaders are too controlling. And they have to have their eye on everything. Some leaders are like that, and they end up building these wonderful things that they think are empires, but they're tiny. What we are doing right now, you might think it's small, but literally it's going to be global very soon. It's going to be global very soon. Why? We trust people. We trust leaders. We trust what you carry. Our job is to equip you to do what God has called you to do, not to control you. Amen? Our job is to allow you to have your own style and your own expression. 
while we share the same values. Amen? People throughout the world will do this thing in many different languages, making disciples that make disciples. If you try to be controlling, you won't lead. Fear causes you to falsely accuse people. Ever had when someone is so fearful and their fear is so real to them that they literally will come and falsely accuse you because they're convinced about what you are doing. I know it. Because their fear is so real. There's so much we could say about that. Fear causes you to be unnecessarily defensive. If you're afraid that, I know I've disappointed Pastor Paul today, I've disappointed him, oh, I'm so afraid, what is he going to say? I'm so afraid. By the time I try and just come and talk to you, you will already literally be defending yourself. And for a lot of people, attack is the best form of defense. You know what I'm talking about. You know those people, you walk into a room for a meeting and they're already attacking you. They're saying, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it was actually them blaming others. Fear causes you to hide from love, where the very people God has put into your life to love you, you reject yourself before you can be rejected. We call it hiding from love. You know what I'm talking about. We say, oh, why don't you get mentorship from person X? Ah, hey, Paul, I've got my boys. I don't interact at that level. But aren't you praying for a great mentor? Yes, I am. So why don't you talk to that person? Hey, they're busy. They're, they're very busy. It's called hiding from love. You've been praying for a great mentor. God puts them in your pathway, but you never interact with them because you're afraid they might reject you. Fear causes you to be bound by a guilty conscience. We're going to talk about that just now. Fear causes you to be a people pleaser. If I'm afraid that you might reject me, guess what I'll do? I'll, I'll put a lot of effort into impressing you, pleasing you, that you will not stop liking me. I remember in my vasty days in the 90s, there was one of the girls in our circle of friends, and she'd always give people presents, cards, all sorts of things. And the psychologist in me got a bit suspicious about this. Other people liked it a lot. And I remember once saying to her, why do you always do this? I mean, it seems nice and everything, but what's the root of it? And you know what she said? She said, I'm afraid that I will lose friends, so I have to keep doing nice things for them so that they keep liking me. Fear was motivating her giving. Amen? Just watch out for that. Fear causes you to not use your talents. Some of you this morning, you're not using your talents because you're afraid. In Matthew 25, verse 24 to 26, finally the servant who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So in my fear, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Now, many times when we talk about this parable, we just talk about what he did, that he hid his talent, right? How many of you ever focus on that? Verse 25, so in my fear, I hid my talent. Can you see what fear does? Fear causes you to hide your talent. It's safer for me if I'm afraid of failure. It's safer for me to just not try. Because if I don't try, then I can't, no one can say, Paul, you failed. We never tried. We never tried to plant any other churches. So, hey, it's fine. We didn't fail. 
Amen? You know what? He was called a wicked and lazy servant. You see, because his real issue was laziness, wickedness of heart, and fear. That was his real issue. But he probably could stand there and think to himself, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a moral person. And some of you stand there in your lives feeling like, but I don't do bad stuff to people. I don't swear, I don't lie, I don't cheat. But maybe God might label you as wicked, as lazy, and as fearful. Are there talents you're sitting on today that aren't coming out of you because of fear? Fulfillment in life doesn't come from what you acquire. Fulfillment in life comes from when the stuff that's in you gets out. Are there books that need to be written? Is it fear that's stopping you? Are there companies that need to be started? Is it fear that's stopping you? Are there messages that need to be preached? Don't all queue up now and say, yeah, I'm next up tomorrow. All right? But there are many places you can preach. Start doing it there at work. Start doing it there in a small group setting. Start doing it there wherever you are and be faithful with that. And let us see you shine. And we will release you. Amen? When you know what fear has done to you, after some time, you stop being friends with it. You end up hating it. The third practice, the third practice for the spirit of boldness. Let the spirit of Christ in you be your source of boldness. Let the spirit of Christ in you be your source of boldness. Let the spirit of Christ in you be your source of boldness. You see, when your source of boldness is something that is relative, you'll have problems. If your source of confidence and boldness is your intellect, you'll have problems. Why? There'll always be someone else who's cleverer than you. Expert power is relative. You can go to your rural home and switch the computer on for your great uncle and they can think, oh, my granddaughter, she's an IT expert. But when you're with your hardcore techies, you know you must just keep quiet. Amen? Expert power is relative. So if that's your source of boldness, be careful. There will be somewhere you will go and there will be someone who's cleverer than you. If your source of boldness is your wealth, there are other people that are wealthier than you and you'll meet them and you'll feel very small. I remember speaking to some very wealthy people and this person said, you know what? This was the day, this was the, the, the time before certain people had become presidents and this particular individual used to associate with those individuals, those billionaires in this country. And I remember this person's wife just saying, you know what? For my husband, it's not that easy because he's speaking to people where they're saying, yeah, you know, I just invested three billion there. Then that two billion, I just transferred it there and so on. And my husband, who's this wealthy man in our circle, for him, that's quite intimidating. Are you hearing me? Don't let that, don't let wealth or your bank account or your net worth be your source of boldness or confidence. Don't let your physical looks be your source of boldness and confidence. Can I go there? 
Because among certain people, you are confident in, that, in your small circle. Then you go to other environments and then you kind of feel, hey, okay, there are levels. <laughs> I still remember, and some people are very direct. I remember, I think I was a teenager or maybe I was the beginning of varsity at the time. And I was with these girls, we were walking. And I was with these girls and they were just raving about this guy who was so good looking. You know, oh, Thomas is just, he's so, so cute. Oh, Thomas, oh, Thomas. Is it, Paul, you, you're quite cute and so on, but Thomas. And Thomas had been a friend of mine growing up. I'm not going to say his surname because he's quite well known. But the point I'm making is there will always be levels and these things are relative. Amen? Boldness is from God's spirit. So yield yourself to his spirit. And his spirit will never leave you. His spirit is not like, ah, yeah, sometimes I'm with you, sometimes I'm not. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 to 2, it talks about the spirit of might. God's Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of might. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. God's spirit is not just the spirit of counsel. His spirit is also the spirit of might. And the moment you're not functioning from that spirit of boldness, then you're functioning from the flesh. I don't know about you, but when I, receive, when I say, Holy Spirit, fill me with the spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I want more of your spirit. I'm receiving the spirit of might, not the spirit of timidity. Are you following this morning? Is it landing this morning? Okay, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Let me just say something. When the fear of the Lord is so strong in your life, it displaces the fear of man. When the fear of the Lord is so strong in your life, it will displace the fear of man. Very often when people are afraid of other human beings, it shows you that the fear of the Lord is not deeply embedded in them. I can read to you other scriptures, Acts 4, verse 31. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and did what? Spoke the word of God boldly. Okay? This Peter who had denied his association with Jesus, now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's bold. The book of Psalms 27, 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why are we fearful? Maybe we haven't made him the stronghold of our life. Why am I fearful? Maybe we haven't made him our light and our salvation. Amen. Number four, the fourth practice. Receive God's love and forgiveness. Receive God's love and forgiveness. One of the most powerful things to do when you're discipling another believer is to help them to have a revelation of God's love and God's forgiveness. You see, what happens is some of us have got a revelation of his love. Jesus loves me, this I know, so the Bible tells me so. We know that he loves us. But we haven't got a revelation of his forgiveness 
And we haven't got a revelation of the fact that he cleanses us from a guilty conscience. Do you know what guilt does? Guilt attracts punishment. Have you noticed that when you've lent money to someone and they know that they need to pay you back and it's overdue, what happens? Whenever they're around you, they've got that guilty look, haven't they? Do they, start be, do they behave towards you in an authentic manner? No. If we're in a church setting and someone has fallen in sin and so on, the next day are they going to come and say, hey, pastor, and give you a big hug? They're not going to do that because what a guilty conscience does, it makes you hide from love. And for some people, they'll withdraw. Other people, they overcompensate. All of a sudden, all of a sudden they're like, pastor, yes, yes, I want to give. I want to give for everything. I want to give. But they're compensating for their guilt. Are you hearing me this morning? Right? If you want to be free from fear, especially the fear of evil tidings. In the Bible, Psalm 112, it says that the blessing of the righteous is that they will not be afraid of evil tidings. In other words, they will not be afraid of bad news. How many of you live your lives, each time the phone rings, you're thinking, what is it going to be now? And you feel nervous. That means you're bound by the fear of evil tidings. How many of you, each time a pastor says, can I meet with you? What's wrong, pastor? Is everything okay? You're bound by the fear of evil tidings. You're wondering what's next. And very often it's rooted either in trauma, traumatic experiences that you've had in your life, where you're like, my life has been so terrible. What's the next thing that's going to happen? Who's the next person that's going to die on me? You know what I'm talking about. Come on. Right? But God wants to free you from that type of fear. And it comes where you receive his love, his acceptance, his pleasure, and you're freed from a guilty conscience. Completely. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. So for some of us, we've received the love of God, but we haven't received it completely. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So when you are fearful, very often you are ultimately afraid that God is going to be punishing you for something. And for some of you, as believers, it's so important to get that condemnation thing out of your system. Otherwise, you'll live in shame all your life. Ah, I'm sure it's God is going to punish me. You know when people say punish People from where I come from, that's what they say. That's their shonglish. You know? They'll punish you. Okay? Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us continue to come near with sincere hearts in the full assurance that faith provides because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Hebrews 4, 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive mercy and will find grace to help us in times of need. 1 John 4, 17. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence, we'll have boldness on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. This is so powerful. Ephesians 3, verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I want to encourage you, 
When God looks at you, this is so important. When God looks at you, if you are born again, he sees Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. And that's what gives you the boldness and the confidence to come into his presence. When you pray in his name, you are praying in that confidence as if Jesus himself is praying. That's what it means. That's the reality of the new creation. So don't say to me, but poor people like me can't do laying on of hands. I still remember years ago, my godmother, as I was growing up, and as a young boy, there was someone who was sick, someone who had cancer. And as a young teenage boy, I think I was in my early teens, I went and I laid hands on this person, and they were saying they felt like heat and fire going through them and things like that. And I remember my godmother saying, and she was from a traditional church, and she was saying, my home name is Tendai. Tendai, what Tendai did. She was very impressed. She was like, ooh, the laying on of hands. Ooh, ooh. This is frightening stuff. The lay, he poor, Tendai, he did the laying on of hands. Whenever you go out and you do what God has called you to do, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. That's what qualifies you. Amen? You're doing it in his stead. So we don't need to be fearful. It doesn't matter what sin you committed last year, last week. Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Some of you are very happy about that. We should all be very happy. Some of you are like, shoo. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter anything else he preached. It doesn't matter. Ah, that one. <laughs> That's my take home. Okay. I think that's so powerful. In Matthew 3, verse 17, it says, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So powerful. The Father God didn't just say, He's my beloved son. He also said, I'm pleased with him. If you study those two words, love is agape. That's used there. It's unconditional love. Right? And the second word that's used there is, it's a, it's a powerful word, Eudokeo uh, in the Greek, it means I take pleasure in him. I think well of him. God doesn't just love you. He thinks well of you. you. You can experience the Father's delight. Not just now because I'm saying it, but throughout your life. When you fully embrace his agape love and you fully embrace his pleasure, knowing that he delights in you, my friends, there's no room for fear. If I've just packed out laughing at one of my kids and I'm just like, wow, you're so impressive. And I'm literally dancing over him with delight. It's very easy for him to come and ask me for something. Amen? My kids were playing soccer. I watched three matches. I'm talking about soccer, not on TV, but I watched them yesterday morning. One after the other. They're in different age groups. And it was interesting because in, in Samuel's, my eldest, in his um, team, they won 10-0, and he scored six of the goals, okay? Um, they were playing against the, the other team's C team for some reason, okay? But he scored six goals, and I found it interesting when he came up to me afterwards, he was very confident, and one of his friends, Lunka, said to him, hey, said in front of me, hey, Paul, uh, hey, hey Samuel, you're going to get lots of game time. And I was quick to say, no, the game time reward system thing isn't happening this year. We're not operating like that. 
But without me having fully offered it to him, he was already saying, no, I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to get treats today, maybe like the drinks and things. I'm going to get, he was so confident because he could see his father's delight. When you know that the father God delights in you and you're a favored one, you become bold in your prayers. And I find it interesting here, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15, it says, And this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we already possess what we have asked him. You can only do that when you have a revelation of his love and his pleasure. It casts out the fear. Amen. Practice number five, hold firmly to your boldness. How many of you know that boldness is something you can lose? Boldness is something you can lose. Hebrews 3 verse 6, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence. How many of you are feeling bold right now in situations in your life? Right now, there's a boldness. Like, man, God's plan for me is to prosper me, not for harm. God's goodness is in my life. How many of you are feeling that right now? That confidence that you're feeling right now, guess what? You can lose it. There are things that make us lose confidence. And that's why you have to hold firmly to it. How do you hold firmly to confidence? You meditate on God's word concerning you. Amen? You can lose it. Ask yourself, what are the things that cause me to lose my confidence? Very often it's what you let into your ear gate and what you let into your eye gate. So you hear people saying like, yeah, eh, it was the, mo the moment I just saw that look she gave me. Oh, I was terrified. If you're feeling anxious during the course of the week, ask yourself, where is it coming from? Where did it start? And you'll find yourself saying, it was the moment I received that phone call. Paul, the whole day was fine, but at 9.30, when I received that phone call, fear came in. Let me just say something for free, very quickly. Fear very often is a spirit. It's a spirit of fear. And some people carry it. You know those people who are always anxious? And you find that you're fine until you have a meeting with that person. Then you see that their fear has rubbed off onto you. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're those people. They're those people. You can feel it coming through the phone. Oof, what's that spirit of fear? And you can only pick it up when you yourself have not made friends with fear. For some of you, because you're used to fear and it's part of your personality, you've embraced it as part of your personality, you don't even notice when it becomes worse, when your fear becomes terror. There are degrees of fear. So hold on to it. Hold on to it. For some of you, when you see your bank balance, you knew you didn't have much money in the bank, but it's the visual. When you actually see it, it triggers something. <laughs> I can, those laughs are like, been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt, sold it again. For some of you, it's when your boss comes to you and says, I'm not happy with this performance. Come on, I think you can do better. Now, they're just speaking at face value to you. But already, what do you do? The way your mind works, you begin to rehearse it and you add your spice, your pepper. You add all sorts of things, turmeric. What happens? 
Now you're like, I don't, I think they want to retrench me. I heard their retrenchments happening in our camp. Yeah, because he's not pleased with me and he told me. Meanwhile, maybe he was just saying it because he wants to protect you and he knows you are brilliant and he's tougher on you than he is on the other people. What causes you to shrink in fear? Watch out for that. The sixth practice, put man in his place in relation to God. Put man in his place in relation to God. For some of us, we've made man too big in comparison, relative to God. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 to 28, it says, Do not be afraid of them, for nothing is hidden that, you will, that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I know today there's some people don't like talking about hell. And they say, you mustn't talk about hell. It puts people off. I'd rather do what Jesus did. Is that okay? I think I'm in good company. And Jesus basically says, guys, fear the one who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what Jesus said. And so what I like to say to people when they're feeling fearful, two things. I say to them, this thing you're afraid of right now, a year down the line, February 2020. Hey, it's already 2020, just round the corner. February 2020, all these people, these 2020 visions, you know, vision 2020. I wonder how far they are. <laughs> or they're going to push them out, 2040, right? February 2020, what will you say? What will you think of when you think of this situation? Some of you, you would have forgotten about it. You honestly would have forgotten about it. Huh? What situation? Gone. Or you'll feel it was nothing. Another thing I like to say to people, I ask them the question, I say, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the worst thing that your boss can do to you? What's the worst thing that your husband can do to you? Or your wife? Or your pastor? Or that politician over there? What's the worst thing? They can't kill your soul. You know that the time we have on earth is a small blip in comparison to eternity. They cannot kill your soul. May God take us to a place where we fear the Lord. I'm not talking about an unhealthy fear. Where we fear the Lord and we don't fear man. We respect people. We honor people. But we don't fear them. Amen? Look at Acts chapter 5 verse 29. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. In this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's what we want to do. We want to fill Gauteng with our teaching. We want to fill the continent of Africa with our teaching. We want to fill the world with our teaching. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us responsible for this man's blood. That can be very intimidating. But Peter and the other apostles replied. This is the same Peter who had denied Jesus. But says, I don't know this guy. They replied, we must obey God rather than men. I want to encourage you, if you want to be bold, make that resolve in your life. 
Guys, at the end of the day, this is about God. I must obey God, not man. In the book of Psalms, chapter 56, Psalms 56, 3 to 4, when I'm afraid, I will trust you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? I don't know who that person is that intimidates you. Maybe it's someone from your village, from your rural home, those of you with rural homes. Maybe it's that ex-headmaster or that guy who bullied you. Or maybe it's your manager or your supervisor. I don't know who intimidates you. What can mortal man do to me? People have asked me, but Paul, you just go into some of those settings. Aren't you afraid of those people? What can mortal man do to me? Your, your position, why should that intimidate me? God is the one who raised you up and gave you that position anyway. Promotion comes from above. Bible says he raises up one and puts down another. Why should someone's position intimidate me? But I see some people, they're one way when they're speaking to their people, their boys. And they're another way, or they literally crumble when someone else walks into the room. You know those people, when they're talking with their peers, they give a powerful presentation. The moment that CEO walks in or that executive, all of a sudden the person is freezing. It shows me that the fear of the Lord hasn't matured in your life, and you're still bound by the fear of man. Simple as that. Let's not complicate it. Amen? Ah, but Paul, these guys are powerful. This is career limiting. Career limiting. So you can be fired and God can give you another job. Or you can be fired and you can finally start that business that you've been so afraid of starting. What can man do to me? Amen? Number seven. Let me just say something also about this thing, this fear of man thing. Let me just, let me just say this. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 to 6, God says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? People tend to meditate on man's words more than God's words. Have you noticed that? Seriously. Whenever people are sharing bad news about what their boss said, then my boss said this, and they can tell you verbatim. Then he said, you'll do this to us. Yeah. And then you'll do this. And then he quoted this from this law and this law. They will quote everything the boss said word for word. Then I say, hey, did you enjoy last week's message? What did Pastor Stewart preach on? Did you enjoy it? Uh, actual. Uh, what is it again? Uh, actual. Can you see what's happening? I say to you afterwards, so what did, you, what did I preach on? What did you learn? And then someone is just blank. But Tuesday, when you're quoting the thing you're afraid of that your boss said. Yeah, then he went on to say this. Mm, then I'm telling you, oh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes talking to your friend, quoting everything that they were saying. Do you know what it shows me? You're meditating more on man's words than God's. Number seven, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. There's boldness and then there's great boldness. And they prayed for it. They prayed for Paul. They prayed for Peter. They prayed for these guys. May they preach with boldness. Ephesians 6 verse 19. Paul is asking for prayer. And he says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. 
What was the one thing he wanted? He wanted to preach with boldness. He didn't say, guys, may everything fit nicely in my message. May it sound clever. He says, please pray that God gives me the words and that I do it fearlessly. Amen? Practice number eight, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter. Now, please note, it doesn't say when they saw all the miracles he did, when they saw how clever he was, when they saw how nice he dressed, when they saw what a cool guy he was. It says when they saw his boldness, when they saw his courage, the, the courage of Peter and John, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. How many of you are unschooled, ordinary people? There's no shame in these things, guys. And they saw that these guys are unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. What was the sign that these men had been with Jesus? Their courage. They were not courageous because they were well studied. They were courageous because they'd been with Jesus. You know, when you know God, when you spend time with him in his presence, it produces courage and boldness. Finally, practice number nine, remain in God's assignment for you. The reason why so many people are fearful today is because they're not in God's will. When you're doing what God has called you to do, there's lots of provision. God's will will never take you where his grace cannot sustain you. If you are doing what God has called you to do, he supplies the resources for his will. When you are now bending the rules and you're outside his will, you don't have confidence. You'll be like, I'm doing this, but I know God can't bless what I'm doing. Amen? How many of you are aware of God's assignment for you? If you look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, through to nine. God says to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set foot, where you set your foot. Now, you know that there were boundaries there. Many Christians claim this and they say, everywhere I go, everywhere. But God actually qualified the way. He says, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river to Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Do you know what God was saying? I've promised you this land, and within these boundaries, wherever you step, it's yours. But I've given it all to you. Now, some of you have underestimated what God has given you. So you think God has just given you this only, and yet he's saying, you know what? You can actually expand, and wherever you touch, it's yours. But when you go outside of that, then you're anxious, because you're touching things that God hasn't blessed. You're doing things that God hasn't assigned you to do. Amen? So there's a boldness that comes from knowing that you're in God's will, and you're doing what he has asked you to do. Amen.
Are we going to step out in boldness? Let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe you are here this morning and you're in a place where you're saying, this message really spoke to me concerning the spirit of boldness. You're in a space in your life where you've been afraid. You're in a space in your life where you've been fearful. You know you've made friends with fear. Maybe you associated fear with your personality and you've thought there are just some of us that aren't as bold as other people and it's the static thing and it will never change. I want you to know right now, some of the quietest people are the most bold because they speak when it matters. Some of the loudest people aren't actually bold because when it matters, they don't speak. Are you hearing me this morning? I just want you in that place, if you want us to pray for you, just raise both hands to heaven. If you're saying, I want to embrace these nine practices of boldness in my life, I'm tired of fear. Maybe you're a controlling person, but you control things because you don't really trust that God himself is the one who can do it. And so you take matters into your own hand. I want you to be freed this morning. Just raise your hands to heaven. Raise your hands to heaven as an act of surrender where you're saying, God, do it. Maybe the nature of your fear, it's a fear to do with relationships. You're hiding from love. You're hiding from love. You're afraid of rejection. So you reject yourself before you can be rejected. I want to encourage you, make a decision today to make yourself vulnerable to someone. To receive love. Maybe you're afraid of entering into uncharted territory. Step out. Maybe you're afraid of dreaming big. Step out. Father, you see your precious people this morning. Right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of fear. I come against that stronghold of fear that has bound the people of God. I break your power over them in Jesus' mighty name. And I say, you cannot touch the people of God anymore. I loose you from fear. I loose you from fear. I loose you from terror. And I replace it with the love of God, the agape love, and the pleasure of God, and the favor of God. I replace it with the fear of the Lord. What can man do to me? Let the Holy Spirit be our source of boldness and confidence. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Thank you, Lord.